Hello everyone, I'm The Touring, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Lore of the Apocalypse. On this show, I'm going to explore the lore of Werewolf the Apocalypse. With version 5 of Werewolf and a couple of official video games all right around the corner, I thought it was a great time to refresh my memory on over two decades of lore while inviting others along for the ride. If you like what I'm doing or have any questions, feel free to hit me up on either Twitter or Patreon, both of which I'm the underscore Toring, and that's T-O-E-R-I-N-G. That's enough for me, let's get to it. Good evening, Cub. Welcome back to the fire. It's been a little bit. If you remember back to the end of our last session, I said that I'd be covering the Shadow Lords this time. However, like the lack of light that they're named after, I was unable to get a good enough grasp on them. I discovered that it's really hard to talk about the power behind the throne without talking about the power on the throne. So instead, we're going to cover the Silent Striders, the tribe of legendary messengers, travelers, and wanderers. Long ago, before the tribes were tribes, Garu gathered together in groups with one of those groups settling along the Nile in northern Africa. Much like today, the great open savannas of the African continent were home not to wolves, but great cats, making it the territory of the pharaoh known as the Bastet. We'll go into them in greater detail later, but for the time being, just know that even before the War of Rage, they were very territorial. The exception to this rule was the Silent Striders, who they allowed to pass through their lands, acting as messengers and envoys to the Garu of the North. According to a Strider I've spoken with, they hold that the War of Rage actually started because the Pharaoh, who had been reluctant to implement the culling of said Impergium, now disobeyed the orders to stop it. For many years, the Striders were at the center of this, both because they ferried messages back and forth between the Garu kings and the Pharaoh leaders, and also because they shared claim of the Nile with the Ware Crocodiles. While the Garu claimed the lands to its sides, the amphibians claimed the waters themselves. This uneasy truce lasted fairly well until the yearly flooding occurred, and then all hell would break loose. Needless to say, the Garu tribe that is still around won out over the essentially extinct Mokele in the long run. Anyway, with the war over, the Silent Striders found themselves living in one of the most fertile pieces of land in the world, the Nile Delta of Egypt. Now, if you've watched any TV or movies, you know that the Egyptians were known for a few things not least of which was their obsession with and study of death. Egypt gave us the Great Pyramids, mummies, and the brothers Sutek and Osiris. Remember how I, a while ago I told you that uh, vampires were, were real? Well, get ready to meet a couple of them. You see, Sutek was either a god that became a vampire or a vampire that became a god. I'll let you pick which one of those two is less terrifying. Anyway, he hates his brother, the pharaoh Osiris, and plotted to kill him and turn his wife and lover Isis into a vampire as well. 
With his main rival dead, he proceeded to go on a destructive rampage all through the Delta area. While he was busy with that, his enemies joined forces with the mortal wizards of the area and somehow brought Osiris' soul back from the land of the dead. Somehow these mortals accomplished the feat of turning a man into an immortal, into something that even if killed would come back. Needless to say, this was not something that Gaia or the Garu tribe in the area could live with, and so they set about purging his worm taint from their lands. For generations they fought, but Sutek sent a nearly unending stream of his spawn out into the world to corrupt and kill. Finally, after centuries of war, two great warriors stepped forward to face this blood god. Shu Horus, one of the Strider's greatest warriors, known for destroying dozens of Gaia's enemies as well as defeating a Silverfang king in single combat. And Nephthys, his kinfolk companion who had learned the secrets of sorcery and used them to extend her own life for centuries. The pair waited until Sutek had begun a terrible ritual. Some say to blot out the moon from the sky, Others say that it was to turn the Nile into his own vampiric ichor, and still others say he hoped to destroy some other vampire god that walked the earth at the time. In any case, Nephthys used her magic to empower Shu Horus with the power of a god, and the Strider warrior severely wounded Sutek. But rather than returning the blow, the vampire went after the weakened Nephthys and turned her into a leech like himself. Enraged by this terrible act, Shu Horus fought Sutek to a standstill while the other striders sprung a trap, binding the blood god into unconsciousness and imprisoning him below the earth. With his final word, Sutek, however, laid a curse upon his attackers. By the names I have spoken, O Lupines, I curse you. I place my mark upon you that you shall be forever severed from thy dead fathers and mothers. I damn you with my touch that never again shall you rest in the lands of thy people. May the names of your ancestors be forgotten, and their ghosts fade from hunger in the Duat. As I was cast out, so then shall you be exiled, voiceless and lost forevermore. Within a year, the Striders had been scattered as the curse's multiple layers took hold, with the first being the nightmares. Any member of the tribe that tries to sleep within the lands which encompass Egypt find themselves unable to rest as they are beset by horrible nightmares, filled with the images of serpents and the screams of their ancestor spirits. On top of this, the entire tribe has lost their connection to those same ancestor spirits and ever since have been unable to learn from them. As the tribe fled from the nightmares, some of the more humble members begged other Garu to travel to their old cairns and to claim them as their own, in so doing to protect them from the worm. Others, however, were too proud for such things, and as a result, many of their most sacred and ancient cairns fell to the Bastet, human wizards, and most painfully, the worm. 
Now exiled from both their homelands and cut off from their ancestors, many striders fell into the deep depression of Hirano, while others set out to find a new place to call their own by crossing moon bridges to the Americas or heading east along the Silk Road. Still others ventured into the deep umbra, but for most of them they went back to traveling the roads and paths of the world. Traveling had always been something that the members of the tribe did, but now it was such an integral part of the tribe that stories tell of them having a mobile cairn that traveled with them across the great steppes of Asia. They took it with them as they traveled with the Mongol horde as it spread across the face of Gaia. As we move onward towards the modern era, the wide open spaces of North America called to them. The drive to explore the unexplored drove them until the railroads met and joined the two coasts together. It seemed at that time as if the unexplored wildernesses were disappearing, but with the advent of the automobile, everything changed for them once again. For it used to take months to follow the weavers' railroad tracks across the continent. By World War II, crossing the United States was almost manageable. Striders could travel wherever they wanted, as bikers, truckers, and RV culture became more prevalent. They found kindred spirits with which to share these journeys. As you can imagine, a tribe with no set homeland and members that travel endlessly back and forth across the base of Gaia and the Umbra, the Silent Striders have been part of essentially every major and even minor event in history, which means that I don't have the time, skill, or knowledge to share them all. Instead, we're going to jump to something I mentioned earlier. As I said, the Egyptians, and by extension, the Silent Striders, have a much closer relationship with death than most people. In fact, the Striders are some of the only Garu who not only know the paths through the deep umbra to reach the place they call Duat, but most others would call the underworld or the land of the dead, but actually travel there. You see, while striders may not contact their ancestors, they know how to travel through the dark umbra, a place completely devoid of any and all life, a place filled with the restless dead in order to retrieve souls. But even beyond that, much like that child in that Sixth Sense movie, the striders can see dead people. And not only that, they can interact with them. Many tales of the Striders start with the ghost of someone who met a particularly violent death, imploring them to avenge said death. Personally, I wonder if the loss of their ancestor spirits may be what led to this. Maybe those of us with access to them are somehow protected. Or maybe they've always dealt with this, and fleeing these spirits is what drove them to wander in the first place. Without being able to ask an ancestor spirit, however, we'll probably never know the answer to that. When you combine these things with the fact that they fought a 4,000 year long war with the children of Sutek, and you come to an entire tribe with deep ties to death and the undead, something that makes them even more unique. This tie to the dead carries through to their tribal totem of Owl as many legends hold that they are the vengeful spirits of the dead. Owl as a totem watches silently in the darkness, learning all that he can. 
Like the tribe that he watches over, Owl holds wisdom, especially about death and the mysteries of the Dark Umbra. Packs that Owl chooses to be a patron spirit for often receive premonitions or prophetic dreams that draw them to long-forgotten mystic locations. As we've covered, the Silent Striders have no homeland, which means that they claim very few cairns around which to form septs. Few septs means few moots, or at least few moots that are only for their tribe. When these gatherings do take place, they are in far-flung locations, far from the wide-open roads, and take years to schedule as the date and location are shared among the members of the tribe as they pass each other. It's there among themselves where the normally quite quiet striders break their silence and openly share among themselves. Millennia of travel like this is led to an insatiable wanderlust within many in the tribe, so much so that to be tied down to one place for more than a few years can cause them to fall into a depression or even Hirano. Some would think that this would lead to them being loners, but quite the opposite is true. And as any lupus will tell you, a lone wolf is a dead wolf. So while they may not settle in one spot, Striders very much enjoy socializing with others. They are, after all, still part human and wolf both species which are incredibly social. What this leads to is that striders are begrudgingly accepted into other septs, not because they're poor guests, but because their arrival is often seen as a bad omen due to the likelihood they carry bad news or prophecies. As for packs, they readily join them, relishing the familial bonds and the closeness, even if it can only last for a few years before the road calls to them once more. That is, of course, assuming that they aren't in a pack made up of all striders, something that is actually seen quite a bit. Even then, there are always others on the road with which to join up. This drive to wander leads to a strange relationship with their kinfolk, while some travel along with their Garu due to their own wandering lifestyle, others only see their family members every few years as they pass through on the way to their next adventure. This is less of an issue for their lupus kin, as time periods like that can lead to an entire new pack being there when they return. But that brings us to the next subject, the lupus within the tribe. While human-born striders may have been travelers from very early on in their lives, the wolf-born can find being torn away from their pack, their family, to be very jarring. This can make the transition into tribal life rougher than many other tribes who live near enough for them to peek in on their pack every once in a while. Finally, we'll talk about the Garu born among the striders. Perhaps due to their constant travel, they actually have very few Garu born, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. No, it only means that if and when they do break the litany, it is most likely to occur with a member of another tribe or sept, in which case the child is often left with that parent to be cared for. Now, saying that, it is also not uncommon for a Garu-born child to be hidden and carried along by a strider parent as they travel, only to be revealed when visiting a sept where they can move around more. But, 
I think I've been talking long enough. Probably why they call me the old man who talks too much. So let's sum this up and be done for the night. The Silent Striders are the messengers, guides, and ghost whispers of the Garu Nation. While they originally came from Egypt, they were cursed when they took down a vampire blood god. And since then, have been cut off both from their homeland and their ancestor spirits. Wanderers and travelers who know the secrets of ghosts in the underworld, but have paid a horrible price for that knowledge. That's enough for tonight, though. Next time we'll dig into the Silver Fangs, the ostensible leaders of the Garu. Until then, tuck in and dream of your own homeland and ancestors. But as always, don't let the worm bite. That's it for this week's episode of Lore of the Apocalypse. If you have any comments or suggestions, reach out to me on either Twitter or Patreon by searching for the underscore toe ring. Thank you all for listening, but a very special thanks goes to my patrons, Bambi Parsons, The Primogen, and Alex M. Without your support, the battle for Gaia would have already been lost.